Midwife Calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we talk about each episode of Call the Midwife without spoilers. I am Jan Moffat. I am Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about the sixth episode of the second season of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by China Moo Young. This is her second episode of Call the Midwife, but not her last. This episode was written by Jess Williams. Jess could be a boy's name or a girl's name, but I'm guessing it's a she. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, this is her only episode of Call the Midwife. All right. Um, we're on episode six. There's only two more episodes left in the season. Is it After an eight t- episode season? Nine. Six. Nine. Six plus two makes eight. It's an eight episode season. It's that there's a, there's a, what's it called? Christmas special? Christmas special that we can consider number nine. That's why I'm counting nine. Yes, it is an eight episode season. So, yeah, it feels like we're almost like, almost to the end of season two already. It does. Speaking of which, if you have any birth stories you'd like to share with us, by this time you have heard my two stories and our friend Jen's story. If you have a story you'd like to share, please get in touch. Poplar at clockworksacademy.com. All right, just a little preamble there. <laughs> Let's get into our recap of the regular episode. amble. Yeah, of episode six. <laughs> By the way, the six plus two equals nine is just like standard Jan math. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do well with anything to do with numbers. <laughs> you know, you were cl- you were very close. <laughs> <laughs> so close. <laughs> don't patronize me. <laughs> We begin with Sister Bernadette in her very Spartan room. Mature Jenny narrates about secrets and burdens. Fred catches Sister Monica Joan going to chapel in her nightgown, and she is embarrassed. (laughs) In a typing pool, Miss Julia Masterson asks to go to the washroom and is treated rudely by her boss. She undoes a tight girdle while she's in the toilet stall and reveals a pregnant belly. There is a TB tuberculosis, if you don't know, epidemic in Poplar, and Dr. Turner wants a screening van. Julia visits her estranged father's pub to find him in bed ill. She brings Dr. Turner to her father, who it turns out needs constant care and is dying. Julia is not willing to stay in care for him, as she has her own life. Jenny arrives and cares for the prickly Mr. Masterson. He tells of how all his children died of TB except for icy cold wind, Julia. (laughs) Five sons, one daughter, and his wife, leaving only Julia, who left to make a life for herself. Jenny talks to Julia and deduces that she's pregnant. Jenny is upset, upset to find that she's eight months along and has been hiding it with a tight girdle. 
So this episode focuses basically two main plots. We have Julia Masterson and her father, Mr. Masterson. I don't believe he gets a first name. I didn't write one down. No, he's only referred to as Mr. Masterson. And then we have Sister Bernadette and and Dr. Turner with the tuberculosis van. Yeah. As well as a tiny plot of Sister Monica Joan that will come a little later. Yeah. Um, So which I just am quickly checking the IMDb while we're talking and he does not credit it with a first name. Cool. Which of the plots do you want to treat first? Should we talk... Should we start where we start? Yeah, Sister Bernadette in her room. The see, um, mature Jenny's voiceover at the beginning is about Sister Bernadette, and mm-hmm. it feels like it's more, uh, a, like it fits that story. It's not really reflecting on the themes of the other story. Like what mm-hmm. she says is, we were adept in silence. We had others that we cared for, and. But we had secrets and burdens of our own. Who could we turn to when our hearts were full? Mm-hmm. And that's like not really anything to do with the Masterson story, it seems to me. Yeah. I mean, do you see any connection to that story? Not a lot, except that they only have each other to turn to. But that's not, yeah, not really anything with secrets, I don't think. But it's all about Sister Bernadette. who mm-hmm. This opening moments with Sister Bernadette. And I feel like it's even... It's more about Sister Bernadette this whole season, even, mm-hmm. than it is about Sister Bernadette this episode. Yeah. But we open with Sister Bernadette just, like, full of longing. Mm-hmm. And, like... And she looks at her hand that still has the scar and where he kissed her. <laughs> I, think, and so I don't think she's looking at the scar. I know. I'm saying it still has the mark, so it's, it's recent that this happened. Yeah. And where he kissed her. And she's obviously, like, pining and longing for... She touches her hand, and I'm just like, oh. (laughs) Um. There's not a lot of her just in this section. This section more focuses on on Julia. But Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't actually recap this part. She is kind of in charge these... Like, there's a few days here where, I don't know, Sister Julianne is not... Is not doing her thing. Is she's busy, and so Sister Bernadette is like giving out assignments and. Yeah, I didn't quite catch what Sister Julianne's. No, I don't know. She's away for reasons. Yeah. If they tell us, I missed it. Yeah. So, yeah, so Sister Bernadette is like in charge. Mm-hmm. And she sends uh, Jenny off with like, Mister Masterson is prickly. <laughs> But you can but handle it. you can it. handle it, and she sure can. <laughs> and then we have Sister Burnett and Dr. Turner when, like, he comes in, and they're so, like, awkward and shy around yeah, each other. Exactly. Like, I don't know. They're, I said, let's talk about them first. I don't know. There's tons to talk about I, mm. in this section. You're right. But just, it's all about Sister Burnett, and she's so full of longing. And then when the, Dr. Turner comes, they're so awkward around each other, mm-hmm. and she's so, like doesn't know what to do with herself. Yeah. And speaking of Dr. Turner, he also arrives to, there's this little scene where this pregnant woman is coughing and she coughs up blood and they realize that she has TB. Dr. Turner is talking to Sister Julianne about how they need screening for tuberculosis and how prevalent it is and how he hasn't, like, Sister Julianne's like, well, it's always here. And he's like, it's worse than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. And she, of course, is like, well, anything for the, like, 
basically anything for the health of Poplar. Like, the nurses were behind you 100%. What yep. do you need? Kind of thing. So, uh, it's always nice to see Dr. Turner passionate about his uh, the health of the people. And this is the, like, Sister Julianne is away for reasons that... But the re- the story reason why Sister Julianne is away is not just that Sister Bernadette is in charge of handing out assignments. It's that she wouldn't normally be the one that goes along with Dr. Turner yeah. to represent Nanata's house to the council. Yeah, and that'll happen in our next That's going to happen. Section. But we know at this point, I think, that she's going to go. Yeah. She, they just haven't gone yet. Yeah. So let's talk about Julia Masterson. Yeah, exactly. She's introduced this typing pool with, like, a whole bunch of women all in a room typing. This is, like, early days of having things typed out. Mm-hmm. Well, not early days, but, like, this is a thing before, you know, in the, in the in-between period of history where typewriters have been invented and computers have not. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, you know, it's... It's 50 years. It's not a very long time in the history of the world. Yeah. But there were, there had to be people, lots of people typing, typing, typing things out. So you have groups of women. This would be a great job for women to, not a great job, but like a, you know, it's a respectable job. I think Francie in uh, Tree Grows in Brooklyn works Mm, in the typing pool. Typing pool, yeah. That's the association in my head. That's funny. And then also uh, in Dracula, it's not working in a typing pool, but in Dracula, which is uh, 1900, Mm. is when it's published. So it's right at the end of the 19th century. Yeah. Um, Mina has a portable typewriter that she carries around with her and does all all this typing. Mm hmm. It was very much uh, women's work was typing. Yeah. Which is interesting. I don't know. I don't know if we want to get into that at all. It's so like we're we're getting sidetracked from the show, but it's like, that's why originally the first like computer programmers were women because it was a natural progression from typing. Yeah. Um, What I wanted to say about it was it's kind of a respectable job. All the women Mm -hmm. are very well dressed. She has to hold up a card to go to the bathroom and she's like admonished by the person in charge of that like it's a it's a serious job yeah it's not like uh i don't know what it's not like the jobs we've seen so far of like women selling fish in the market yeah dirty and like this is very like she's she's snooty compared to her exactly exactly that's where she you know the she's her going back to poplar to her father is going you know She's seen as she's gone to the snooty world, become a snooty uh, typist. And she goes back to the pub, to -hmm. her father, who is not particularly nice. No, he is extremely unkind to her. He is, I mean, from the moment you see them together, it's clear that, like, he's been rejected by her, and so he's rejecting her. Yeah. That she left, and so he's like, oh, you're just gonna leave again, and... They treat each other very. They treat each other cruelly. Yeah. Um. He's obviously quite ill, and she's like, "I'll call a doctor, and then I'm leaving." And then you know, it's like she keeps trying to leave, mm-hmm. but not actually leaving. Yeah, and we see a lot of uh, internal conflict. And we see yeah, internal exactly. conflict in him, 
more subtly, but in her, we see it right on her face that mm-hmm. like she came, she wants to be there. She wants to be with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, get out, Miss Snooty. I don't care about you. And she's like, yeah, really hurt. Yeah. Well, and Jenny stepping in is, this is really fun to see this yes. Jenny because this is a Jenny who finally has a lot of boldness this is a Jenny who is channeling sister Evangelina <laughs> she is like uh oh you don't mean you know oh I'm sure you don't mean that that you know children are a burden or whatever and I don't know if he says burden but he says something about not liking his children and she's like oh I'm sure you don't mean it and he's like oh you don't know my story Mm-hmm. You know, here's my story of the the five children, no, the six children dying, because it was five sons and a daughter and his wife, mm-hmm. who all died, which is horrific, and they died of TB. So yeah. that connects it back to the other story. That's kind of you know what they had to do to connect it back to the other story. And uh, and Jenny is like compassionate at first, but when they're bickering with each other, she's just like, nope, I'm, you know, I'm here to do this thing. We're going to do this. Yep. You know? It's what uh, Sister Bernadette says, like, I know you can handle it. And the kind of subtext of that is you've gotten tougher. I don't think she says out loud, you've gotten tougher, but Julia's Mm -hmm. like, I bet, sorry, Jenny is like, show I didn't used to be able to handle it. And now I can. And, faith in me and then you see her and you're like yeah it's true she has gotten a lot tougher yeah and she uh you know is smart and sees that she's pregnant she gets her to take the girdle off and she's like that is unsafe for your baby yeah, that's and not she's like i'm on. not giving you i'm not letting you put this girdle back on yeah oh mercy eight months she's i like... know and she's like hiding it so well Ugh. Oof. And it turn- she's not eight months. It turns out later that she's nine months pregnant. Yeah. So, and she's been, yeah, she's been hiding it and hiding it from her father. And like, this baby's going to come. You need to not pretend anymore. After like one little moment of, uh, one little sadness in her story. that like, this is not the first or last woman we've seen hiding her pregnancy for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, like, he told me he was married. She tells her little story. Mm-hmm. He told me he was marrying his sweetheart. I thought I was his sweetheart. Yeah. That, I just exactly. have to draw attention to that line because it's under, like, it's a, an understatement that is so full of mm-hmm. emotional depth. I really think yeah. it's very good writing. I think so, too. I thought I was his sweetheart. I thought I was his sweetheart. And then move on. Dr. Turner begs for a TB x-ray van with Sister Bernadette by his side. They voice, Im- they voice impassioned pleas to an indifferent medical board. Later, at Nanata's house, the nuns and nurses get the good news from Dr. Turner that it has been approved and they're getting the van. Sister Evangelina is the lone voice of dissent about the amount of work. Sister Monica Jones suggests her for crowd control. <laughs> Julia and her father fight, and Jenny shows her how to massage her father's legs, forcing them to get along with some harsh words. Jenny encourages Julia to tell her father about the baby, 
and to attend the clinic. Jenny examines Julia at the clinic and finds she's full term. The two of them discuss their fathers. Julia and her father begin to reconcile and discuss their past. She doesn't know what they'll do, she'll do about the baby, but agrees to stay at the pub, resigning from her typing job. So this moment with Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette begging for the x-ray van is like beautiful and perfect. I love Sister Bernadette all fired up. Yeah. I love the two of them on a team. Yeah, like... they're like very much on the same page. They're finishing each other's sandwich sentences. And they are uh, advocating for Poplar in a way that clearly it needs to be advocated for. Yeah. And I yeah. love... Sorry, go ahead. Just You're so right that like part of what makes this scene so compelling is that not just it shows their passion, but the, the medical board's indifference shows why Poplar needs advocates. Mm-hmm. And like... I love what he says, like, oh, when it finally comes to London, where's it going to go? Chelsea? And, like, it's... And he's like, what are you saying? And like, it's however many... Like, this was the 50s. This is 60 years later. And this is exactly a problem that we still have. Yeah, although like, the show was written in 2013 yeah, yeah. or whatever this exactly. episode was. But, like, send the... Send the help to the places that don't need it. Yeah, exactly. Send it to the rich neighborhood. Send the help where they don't need it. I think what... uh, Maybe what... I don't know for sure what convinces them, but the thing that Sister Bernadette brings up that I think is very convincing to their ears is it goes to the workers. It slows down production. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to slow down your bottom line, which is money. Which who do the, what do the rich people care about? They care about the workers need to keep the workers working. Workers need to keep working, and so suddenly they're essential workers. Exactly. And then we care about and them then we care about until them. they're not in any risk anymore, and then we ask for their bonuses back. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just uh, sit in that question for a little bit. <laughs> uh, and they celebrate and afterwards. Then, yeah. They're so happy and so, like, looking at each other and, like, so impressed with each other. And this is a thing that, uh, podcaster we both know, uh, Lonnie Diane Rich, who is a writer of things, but one of the things she is a writer of is romances, which she says Mm -hmm. all the time about writing a love story or a romance, is people need to work together. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's the best love stories are with people who work together Mm, yeah (laughs) even if it's not like their job together yeah they work like they work on a team and we see that here like Mm -hmm. we see the them working together and celebrating together and working well together makes them like (sighs) yeah it's so funny that like their love story is so so subtle yeah it's just in looks it's so, it's like Jane Austen-esque. Yeah. And it's like extreme subtlety. Because like, it's in like the touch of a hand. It's in the, you know, glances at each other and a smiling. And, and the like, 
Forbidden love. <laughs> mm. Yep. Uh, I love <laughs> so much when they're talking about the van and Sister Evangelina is complaining and... <laughs> Sister Monica, and Sister Monica Jones, says, Jones says, you can do it. She has a voice reminiscent of a foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan and they're <laughs> at each other's throats all the time. It's so funny. She's so mean to her, but they're both mean to each other, so that's yeah. how it works. But, uh... I do love the, yeah. in that same moment, in that same little scene, when... They're talking about Dr. Turner, and then he walks in, and Sister Monica Jones says, Speak of the sun, and so it shines. I've never heard that yeah. positive version of speak of the, the devil. devil, and he appears. Yeah. But gonna... of course, she wouldn't, she wouldn't say speak of the devil as a nun, so speak no. of the sun, so it shines. Speak of the sun, and so it shines. So I'm going to try to say that about people when I'm happy to see them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I really love, yeah, I just, the the plans for the TV van and the Sister Monica Joan, the one who, our sister Evangelina, the one who isn't excited about all the extra work is like, you can have extra, extra work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, Thank great. you. Yeah. <laughs> I do like, though, that there is this voice of dissent of like, yeah. of like I, I recognize that this is a good thing, but it's more work for us. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. That is the thing about, like, doing good work sometimes just leads to doing more and more work. We've seen that again and again on this show. Mm-hmm. And then we have the, uh, there's a minor, minor, before we talk about the Mastersons again, mm-hmm. there's a minor, minor plot uh, throughout, actually, that's Trixie with her high heels mm-hmm. in the last part that we didn't comment on yeah. at the time. She wants them cut off because it'll make her give... It's all about the wiggle. Yeah. Uh, And then now Jenny, in this section, Jenny's doing Trixie's curls. Right. And it hurts. Mm -hmm. And they're both... And Jenny says to Trixie, beauty is pain. Mm -hmm. And it's like not... It's a very minor thread. It's not a story even. It's just a couple of little scenes. But like the idea of beauty is pain... I feel like I feel like I have a germ of a beginning of a thought. It's not in my notes because I didn't think of it at the time. But mm-hmm. like the TB story and the Mastin story and the like getting your hair curled story is like about what you're willing to suffer for. Mm. That like beauty is pain. Uh, we haven't finished the story, but both... Uh, Julie's baby that she's like constricting and she has to give up her job and Mm -hmm. give up everything to come back. And it's good for her baby and for her father, but it's painful. Yeah. And it's a different kind of beauty Mm -hmm. that comes from pain. Yeah. And the TB also that like sister Evangelina having extra work and having to be called a foghorn to give people the medical need that they need is another like beauty is pain. Mm, 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I can see. It's like of. the beginnings of a... Yeah, I can... Thought. I can kind of see that, that tenuous connection there. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, I'm not mentioning all those scenes that hard when I'm recapping to get all the details, but uh, there are, yeah, there's scene with Trixie and her heel, high heels that need to get a quarter inch cut off and then, uh, well, that also seeds Fred's fear of heights. Yes. But uh, it's just bonding with the with the nurses. There's there's always these little scenes sprinkled throughout the, the, every episode. Just, just the nurses having the fun nurses, together. The nurses bond. They spend each time in each other's rooms. It it just it solidifies their friendship, and it's good to have. It's good to have those scenes mm-hmm. throughout an episode. So the Mastertons bicker. Yes. Jenny scolds them. Yeah. Tells them they're as bad as each other. Mm-hmm. And she forces her to do this, like, leg massage thing. Yeah. And it's great. It's like, she's like, you're doing this. I'm telling you to do it. You're doing it. And, like, because it's tu- it's physical touch. It's yeah. touching her father in this very intimate way. And he's insulting her. And Jen- Jenny's like, you say nothing at this point. <laughs> yeah. Don't speak. Don't speak. <laughs> it's again. It Sorry, just, finish. like, leads to this. You know, intimacy physically leads to their emotional intimacy. Yeah. It's an acknowledgement that the show does often that, like, people are whole people. Mm-hmm. And body, mind, soul all need nourishment and all need each other. And, yeah, they just, like... You have to touch his legs. Mm-hmm. It, and it is so, like, Jenny, another Jenny getting tougher that, like, first season Jenny would not have made Julie be the one to massage. She would have yeah. so, even beginning of second season, Jenny would be like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. But now she's like, no, you do it. <laughs> yep. We have seen her, yeah, we've seen this growth on screen. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then Julie wants to leave... Uh, she's so, like, when she expresses, like, I wanted to go and make something of myself and come back so he could be proud of me. Mm -hmm. And we kind of see the typing pool is like, what, like you said, she's snobby now. Mm -hmm. And she wants, that's like exactly her goal. She wants to be snobby so she can come back and show her father she's made something of herself and she'll be proud of him. She'll, he'll be proud of her, and he now he won't be proud of her because she's pregnant but not married. Mm-hmm. And exactly, Ju- uh, Jenny says he may feel some shame. Yeah, but he does. She doesn't say like, "Oh, he won't care." Yeah. Uh, but you're giving him his first grandchild. Yeah, and exactly. What a legacy. Exactly, and he has no family but her. He has no family so for but her. her. To have a child is a big deal. So like, and it turns out that he, if he does feel shame, he doesn't say any. No. Uh. He's, he expresses anger. He's like, do you have someone? She says no. And he's like, I'll knock, beat him, I'll knock, I'll his, knock his block off or yeah. something like that. And she's very surprised by that. She's surprised that he cares that much. She expects him to be ashamed of her. Mm-hmm. And instead he is indignant on her behalf. Yeah. Which is lovely. And the... It makes me think, like, their anger at each other, and especially his anger at her, 
Jenny says, like, he's lost all his family, too. Mm-hmm. And it's part of their whole thing through the whole episode. He's lost his whole family. I've lost all my family. And they mm-hmm. both are, are have their own grief and mm-hmm. not compassion for each other's grief. Yeah. But it makes me think, like, grief... How does grief lead to anger in this story? Makes me think back to what Sister Julianne said in season one, that where there's anger, there's always fear. Mm. Yeah. And that's the road from grief to anger. Yeah. In this, with these these people anyway. Yeah, exactly. Where there's anger, there's always fear. He's afraid that she wasn't, that she'll leave him forever. Mm -hmm. And that after having lost everyone, he loses her too. And she's afraid that he doesn't care that she's gone and it's like mm-hmm. want yeah it's so that she's not enough for that him. she's not enough for him and she's like and she says she's sorry that she wasn't the one who died yeah which is just so heartbreaking that that conversation that clearly has been a long time coming is absolutely heartbreaking I wouldn't say it yet because I couldn't remember if it's the part that you've... Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't the one who died. I'm sorry for being the one who didn't die. Mm-hmm. Is again, like, where there's anger, there's always fear. Like, that's about fear that she's not loved, that she's not enough, that she's not valuable. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Sad. It is so sad. I love, uh, they show her resigning from a typing job, and, like, <laughs> she's not wearing the girdle anymore, she's, like, big and pregnant, it oh. turns out she is, I didn't mention this, but it turns out she's nine months pregnant, because <laughs> she tells her, like, she's like, well, when, you know, are you sure that it's only eight months? And she's like, well, I wouldn't forget that, it was at Christmas time, and then she's like, although there was bonfire night. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yeah, any day now. <laughs> We also see, like you mentioned this before, and uh, they mentioned it before, but I feel like this is the point where it is most uh, profound, that they say again what his diagnosis is, that the TV weakened his heart. Or, mm-hmm. uh, he's literally dying of a broken heart. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> maybe a little on the nose, but no, I mean, like... He had, it's like... he had a heart attack two years ago... And if he had taken care of it, yeah. he'd be okay, but he didn't, and now he's dying. And now he's dying, but just, like, about, they're both so, uh, their lives are so defined by grief mm-hmm. that she's trying to prove herself to him to earn his love is why she's at the typing pool, because she doesn't feel like she's mm-hmm. worth being the one that lived and he's literally dying of a broken heart because no one is taking care of him and he's not taking care of himself because he's overwhelmed by grief. Yep. Trixie and Cynthia pass out flyers all about the TB screening. <laughs> when the van arrives, there are much bigger crowds than expected and Sister Evangelina uses her power to control the crowds. <laughs> Sister Bernadette is the first to get an x-ray helping a little girl. Jane goes to retrieve Sister Monica Joan for her x-ray and finds the door jammed to the washroom. Jane convinces Fred to climb the ladder to the window, dealing with his fear of heights. He finds the chair under the door, and while Sister Monica Joan speaks of gamma rays and nuclear poison, 
Fred promises to escort her to and from the van. Later, Dr. Turner speaks to Sister Bernadette, telling her that she has TB. She's asymptomatic, and he examines her with Sister Julianne present. He finds crackles in both her lungs and offers to drive her to the hospital the next day. So the, I'm, like, not surprised. There We hear earlier, I mean, we hear earlier, like, oh, I think it hurts the baby. No, I promise it doesn't. Uh, so we, we see some, like, anxiety about the x-rays. But I'm not surprised there's big crowds. It's, like, x-rays and a big fancy truck. And, like, everyone's there. Yeah. Flyers aside and health aside, it's, like, such a novelty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, like, of course there's a huge yeah. crowd. Mm-hmm. And then we have Sister Bernadette is a natural with kids yes. again. Oh, and he see yes. Dr. Turner sees her like and compliments her on her helping out and her naturally good with kids. And he's like, you're good with my son. Want to be his mom? Um, I have to like uh, break the world to be like, that so would not work though with a kid who's scared. I don't want to go too. If I go, will you go? Who are who are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyone can say I don't want to. All these people are going. <laughs> Maybe it would work. I don't see it work. working. I totally have done that kind of thing with kids. It totally has worked. You're crazy. I work with kids. Tell doing it with a kid totally makes a difference. Well, doing it with the yeah, but like you have to manipulate a connection. <laughs> oh, oh, I just assumed that she would already know her. She already knows her. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, Sister Bernadette delivered this girl. I'm sure she did. <laughs> <laughs> or delivered one of her hundreds of brothers and sisters. There's so many kids. <laughs> <laughs> so Sister Monica Joan has trapped herself in the bathroom, which she calls her ark. Her ark. She, with the chair under the door, the moment, I'm jumping ahead a tiny bit, but like, the moment of Fred coming through the window and seeing that it, that it wasn't a jam door, but a chair under the door that she put there herself is just it's so funny <laughs> and so brilliant. Fred oh is so good. Yeah. He's scared of heights, but he's like, I'm, I'm going to go do it for Sister Monica Jones. Before Fred being so good, though. The, uh, ordinarily I would be sympathetic, but today I'm not. Yeah. Jane. Jane <laughs> is getting bolder and bolder. I was, the, I wrote down that, like, Nanata's house creates more Sister Evangelinas. Like, Jenny's acting yeah. like Sister Evangelina. Jane is acting like Sister Evangelina. She has this influence on, on the people around her. She's, you know, she's difficult and impatient and, like... The voice of dissent, but she's a good influence. Yeah, because everyone sees that that difficult impatient doesn't mean she's not kind. It's one of the things that, like, nice isn't the same thing as kind. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things Sister Evangelina is not nice. Yeah. But she is kind. She is and kind. she is a, a uh, object lesson in nice isn't the same as kind. And people who think it is can see Sister Evangelina and be like, Huh. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to, like, be a pushover to be yeah, kind. Exactly, exactly. I love, love Jane, and ordinarily I would be sympathetic. 
but today I'm not. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> like, Go up the ladder. Get up the ladder, yeah. You gotta do it. <laughs> and Fred does. Yeah. And it's so good. Mm-hmm. <sighs> In this section, the only real thing that we see of the Mastersons is... Uh, this is the section where we see Julie kind of puttering around in the house and opening a drawer that's full of shoes. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to get to the house ready. And there's toys. And yeah, the moment where she opens the drawer and there's a bunch of shoes in it, still from her siblings, is heartbreaking. It's like that uh, story that's apocryphally by... uh, Ernest Hemingway, but not actually. Mm, For sale, baby shoes never worn. Yeah. It's like, all the shoes. Why are shoes so full of pathos? Because they're so practical. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they didn't get rid of them. All this stuff they just still have, because who is going to get rid of it? Yeah. You have a little girl and her father. Who is going to have the bravery to get rid of that? Get rid of all the old shoes. Um, So then, Sister Bernadette has TV. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do they... I because the episode is all about TV, I figured that. But like, I don't, they never actually say TV. They say she has lesions on her lungs. Oh yeah, I I, th- I feel like they do say she has. I it, was but... watching because I was like, is it what they're screening for, or is it some other thing? Hmm. And like, they never actually say. Yeah, but she goes to the sanatorium. But she goes to sanatorium and has. Just maybe you need to know a tiny bit about TV to to yeah. be sure, which I don't know anything about TV, <laughs> except that you cough into a napkin, you cough blood, and then you... Uh, yeah, well, that is the very much the, the TV slash movie version of it, is you cough blood and then you die. <laughs> yeah, I mean... B- frankly, because coughing blood is a later stage of TV. Right. And uh, it used to be called Consumption. Because it, we're like, you get all skinny and consumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, she finds crackles in her lungs, which is also, that's TB as well. Yeah. Um, that moment where he's listening to her breathe mm-hmm. is another of these moments where like... Very intimate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like tense and scary and sad. But also, it's like he's touching her skin, and like it's so intimate. Yeah, well, I mean, she has to take off, like, undo her shirt, and Sister Julianne is there because she's a nun. Yeah, and it's and, and she's there not just to be emotional support, but also to be like a, a chaperone. chaperone. Yeah, yeah. But it's still but like it's still, such it's an intimate, intimate moment. moment. My goodness. Yeah, he like moves her. Here and oh like it is. Yeah, it's intense and in both medically and uh, romantically. Mm-hmm. He he also like he offers driver to the hospital and she's like no no and Sister Julian's like uh yes yes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sister Julianne is see- like is smart. She's seeing this. Yeah, she's not. She doesn't. She is not the type to like 
blindly uh, see the world that she imagines should be Mm -hmm. at all. Exactly. So So she must see that there's something, that there's some feelings there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and what would you do if you're, you know? You would offer to talk to her. Mm Mm-hmm. Which she does. Which she does. But do you force them apart? I don't think you do. Well, I mean, you certainly don't when she's, like, listening to her lungs for TV and driving her to the hospital. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Alright, so our last recap is... um, Julia's father is close to death as she goes into labor. Sister Julienne leaves Sister Bernadette's side to go and help Jenny, staying with Mr. Masterson as Jenny delivers her baby. Julia struggles, but still urges Jenny to check on her father. The baby is born and immediately placed on her, in her father's arms before he dies. Mm-hmm. Mature Jenny narrates about a love unspoken as Dr. Turner drives Sister Bernadette to the hospital. And in the last scene... Julia inherits the pub, and Sister Bernadette goes into a sanatorium. So this last bit is very intense. Yeah. With the death and the birth at the same time. Julia's giving birth, kneeling beside the bed, and she doesn't want to get onto the bed. And, you know, it's not a bad position for birth because it's got a lot of gravity working for her and etc. It's difficult for Jenny to have to get down there. But it's a position of penitence. Hmm. It's a position of prayer. She doesn't want to get off of her knees. She's yeah. like asking forgiveness as and praying for hope as she's birthing this child. Yeah. I mean, kneeling by the foot of her bed, of all things, mm-hmm. like, of all kneeling places. Yeah. I totally agree. I wondered whether uh, that's the bed her sibling died, or mother yeah. died in. Yeah. Like, we don't know which family member, but that's probably the bed a family member died in, mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to be in it to give birth. Yeah. That's possible, too. That's how I read that. Mm. Her not wanting to, refusing to get into the bed. Yeah. It's like that bed's associated with death. Yeah. We've seen on Call the Midwife before, and we've commented on it before, the, like, connection of birth and death. Mm-hmm. This is episode and this scene though where we have him dying and her giving birth at the same time mm-hmm. in two different rooms in the same space yeah. is one of the like there are call the midwife scenes that stick with me yeah <laughs> and i when this episode started i didn't remember which scene like which episode that scene is from. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the most... Uh, it's a moment, an unforgettable scene in Call the Midwife that mm-hmm. has stuck with me. Yeah. And the way that he's dying 
like he's breathing the same way that she's breathing mm-hmm. we really the way we're intercutting shows that kind of he's laboring yeah in the same yeah. way that she's laboring he has labored breaths as well as she does or not in the same way but in a mm. similar way and i really remember uh when my brother was dying the mm-hmm. same like exactly like that it was exact i mean it wasn't exactly like that but the the feeling of like it felt like labor Mm. yeah we come into this world and out of this world in a similar way and so similar Mm -hmm. and they give him his grandson he gets to hold him yeah he's awakes enough to to say a few words and that kind of isn't is the amount of effort it takes for him to die really yeah Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just sobbed. Yeah. When I watch this episode, it's hard for me not to sob now, just thinking about it. He is, uh, his last words to his grandson are like, you need to be the one to move the barrels. (laughs) Yeah. Which is sweet. And we find that he has left the pub to Julia. He left the pub to Julia all along. Long before she came back. He hasn't had a chance to change his will since they reconciled. Exactly. So she was always getting the pub. Yeah. Because who else would he give it to? Yeah. And And we end with the, the, the opening voiceover I didn't think did a great job of intertwining the stories, but the ending one does. Mm Mm-hmm. That it's, the world is full of love that goes unspoken. And we're talking about the love that he had for Julia and didn't say those six years that they didn't see each other. And mm-hmm. he's full of anger and resentment and grief. But that doesn't, none of that means that he doesn't love her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also talking about uh, Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette, that their love that goes unspoken. Unspoken, yes, it sure does. And this is, I think, like, we have been uh, a little, like, hoo-hoo-hoo about Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner. Um, the kiss on the hand is a very big moment, but I feel like this end where the voiceover is literally showing the two of them and saying love that goes unspoken mm-hmm. that like we're not getting hints anymore yeah I, by this episode it's really not hints anymore mm-hmm. absolutely yep i feel like i want to talk for hours about that birth and death scene but i feel like i don't have anything intelligent to say except that it's so moving Mm -hmm. and uh beautiful and beautiful and more so because it reminds me so much of uh of my brother's death Mm -hmm. um so i don't know i don't have anything really intelligent to say about it except that it's like Beautiful and painful. Mm-hmm. And beauty is pain. <laughs> yeah, there you go. In a much less frivolous way. Yeah. All right. So, what was your favorite moment from the show? <laughs> is that your favorite moment, or do you want to pick something lighter? Oh. 
I think for certain definitions of favorite, that's my favorite. Mm -hmm. And I've said it's like my mantra in one of our other shows, in our show about kids' movies, way too seriously. I always say I like movies that make me feel feelings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is a TV show that makes me feel feelings, and my favorite part's the one that makes me feel the most feelings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. How about you? Yeah, for in terms of like feeling feelings, the baby being placed on his grandfather's chest is really moving. But I also really like Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner speaking to the medical board together, being yeah. a united front, calling them out on their classism. Yeah. And getting what they need for the health of Poplar and for the health of Sister Bernadette. She turns out she was advocating for herself. It turns out she was advocating for herself. Just getting interventions early because of that van. Yeah. So there you go. When you when you uh chorus of good King Wenceslas you who go to bless the poor shall yourselves find blessing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's my favorite Christmas song. Cool. <laughs> it seems you're 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 looking at me like I'm crazy for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> All right then. Okay, so if you have thoughts to tell us about if this episode moved you like it moved us, which how couldn't it? Uh, let us know. You can. Uh, we're on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can email us poplar at clockworksacademy.com. If you like what we do, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Uh, you could also tell your friends about our podcast. Mm hmm. We're, I don't know of any other Paul the Midwife podcasts like us, so, you know, we're the only ones. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you've heard of other ones. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Last night, I... Got up like one in the morning, two in the morning or something to go to the bathroom. I came back and I was wide awake and you were like, so I put headphones in and I listened to the end of the uh, last episode of uh, Moo Point Mm -hmm. and then I... Like law, it, whatever. I turned up, I couldn't hear, and I turned up the volume, and I must have skipped podcasts because suddenly you, midwife calling in my ear really loud, and I was like, Chan's voice. I'm like trying to be quiet and not wake you up while I put headphones in, and then you spoke loudly in my ear, and I was just like, what? <laughs> Like somehow some new top <laughs> volume and the beginning of Call of Duty of Popular Opinion. I get all this is being recorded now. Should <laughs> oh. I stop it and start again? That's fine. Are you ready to go? <laughs>